up next on the Parth and Pratham show. So the biggest thing I took was is you take what you, your plan, you implement it, and then you find out certain things work, certain don't, things don't work. You adjust to basically cater to your guests or to your business needs. And then you take your failures and you don't forget about it. You take your failures and you learn from them and you build on top of those failures. Because again, unfortunately, a lot of small businesses, they don't succeed. A lot of people get into business and they fail. The ones that are successful are the ones that have failed and they come back and they do it again and they learn from their past mistakes. It's a part and Pratham show. According to Business Insider, the average American eats out 5.9 times a week. With the average menu price of a meal in California at $11.06, Californians spend upwards of $3,000 every year. However, due to the shelter in place, Americans are not able to go out as much and eat at restaurants. Yeah, so um, Pratham, this has actually led to huge loss in revenue in the entire restaurant industry, which is crazy. A major portion of their services, like dining in, are now restricted. Here to discuss how restaurants have dealt with this, this loss, please welcome to our podcast, Bradley Willis. He's the general manager of Burma Burma in Dublin, California. Thank you, Mr. Willis, for being on our show. Thank you, Parth. Let's get started. So uh, tell us about yourself. Uh, where are you from? What do you like to do for fun? Okay. Yeah. So my name is Bradley Wills. Um, I'm actually born and raised in Hawaii. I oh. came up here for college um, in 97 and got stuck up here because I got married um, for fun. Again, I grew up in Hawaii, so I was a, I was a water boy. I loved the beach, um, just hanging out outdoors, doing outdoor things, bodyboarding, surfing. Uh, and eating pretty much that's kind of what we did back home so it kind of continued when I came up here wow that's really cool where did you go to college I went to college in Belmont uh, it was called College of Notre Dame at the time in Belmont California now it's actually called Notre Dame Dynamir University wow um, so did you major in business or in some aspect related to that yeah so when I came to college I actually um, I actually did it. Uh, first, I was a single major in communications with a minor in business. And then based on the curriculum and as I was going, I just ended up taking classes that covered both majors. So instead of minoring, I majored in communications and business at a double major. Oh, wow. That's really cool. That's a lot of hard work. Um, so you're a general manager at Burma Burma, which is why we want to talk to you. But... Um, have you worked with any other businesses before joining Burma Burma? Yeah, so I've been in the industry pretty much while I was in college. I, 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 again, in Hawaii, hospitality and tourism is our big, is basically our big income. So my family was all in the hospitality business. So when I came up here for college, I got a part-time job as a, basically a busser and a server. I started off at a little small Italian restaurant down the street from the college. And I pretty much just worked my way up. Um, and then from there... I did uh, a couple other restaurants. I've opened up bars. I've opened up restaurants, uh, clubs. Um, so I've been in touch with the basically the hospitality, the restaurant community for since about '98. Uh, okay, so let's talk more about Burma Burma. So Burma Burma is a Burmese restaurant that is located in Dublin, California, and you were the general manager there. So just for fun, like, what is your favorite food? that you guys have at Burma Burma? Because I've been there before and I really like their, I think it's this garlic noodle dish. I think mm -hmm. that's pretty good. So what about, what is your favorite food at Burma Burma? 
So our menu is kind of big here. So it's kind of a mood thing for me. Now, if a customer comes in and they ask us what our best things are, um, I'll give recommendations based on what they're craving. So for me, uh, go-to is always tea leaf salad because that's a traditional Burmese dish. The fermented tea leaf that we get comes straight from Burma. Um, the owners that are the chefs actually have to hand source and pick the actual tea leaf they want to do um, to create the tea leaf dressing. So the tea leaf salad, again, is automatic. Um, and then again, it depends on what I'm in the mood for. If I'm in the mood for chicken, I'm going to go with our minted jalapeno chicken um, just because I like the flavors and the spice. Um, beef. Beef for us is our basil chili. Beef is really good. And you choose your spice level. Me, I, ca I can't do really, really hot, um, unlike some of my friends and family. But again, that's one of uh, my go-tos. Noodles-wise, you said the garlic noodles. Um, I actually prefer the nanji dough, which is kind of another traditional Burmese dish. It's the coconut chicken curry noodle. Um, so you get that coconut chicken curry mixed in with uh, rice noodles and everything and some other seasonings. So those are pretty much usually my go-tos. Amazing. Yeah. Would you be able to give us the history of Burma Burma, the restaurant? Um, how long has it been in service? Is it only one location in Dublin? Yeah, of course. So I'll start kind of from the beginning because Burmese cuisine kind of is on the, it's on this trend right now. And it's been trending for a good like last five to, to six years. Um, and really it kind of took off for Malaysian cuisine and all these other Thai cuisines all started hitting the Bay Area and having its big influence. But Burmese cuisine actually has been around just as long. It's just, it's only starting to kind of, again, like I said, in these, these last years, trend. Um, and the original people that kind of started it came out of Oakland. Um, and one of the biggest names that people recognize when you talk about Burmese cuisine is Burma Superstar. Um, they were kind of the ones that kind of just really started putting thing, uh, Burmese food on the map. A lot of the owners and the Burmese community itself, they're very, very close and they're very, very small. So all these Burmese restaurants, including ours, that you see popping up, a lot of them have come from Burma Superstar. They've all worked there. And as they expanded, they kind of wanted to, the chefs and the owners wanted to do their own thing and present their own take on Burmese cuisine um, for basically, again, their friends, family, and for, um, uh, again, use their concept of what they think uh, they should highlight uh, Burmese-wise. So Burma, Burma itself, uh, there's three owners. They're all Burmese. Um, and they all, again, worked at other Burmese restaurants until they own this location. This location is going on, we're almost going to be hitting three years. Um, but the owners have been in this business for, again, over, over 15, 20 years. I mean, again, they've been working in this business. Um, this is their baby, which they started. They, you know, it was their vision of what they wanted to do. Um, and from here, again, they actually, we opened our second location um, last year, which is in Walnut Creek, downtown Walnut Creek, and it's called Burma 2. So Burma, Burma itself, three years, Burma 2, uh, just a little over a year and going. So you mentioned the second location, uh, Burma 2. Um, is there any menu differences between Burma, Burma and Burma 2, or are they just the same? So there were differences when Burma 2 first opened. The owners incorporated some new dishes um, because, again, they wanted to highlight that location and get people to try it out. So they had um, a deep-fried lotus root appetizer. They also had this Burmese fried chicken that's tempura battered, and it's finished with a habanero mango jicama-like cold salad. That's really good. And then they came out with dried curry items. Um, and the dried curry items were more along the lines where it was very flavorful with dry spice itself. 
Um, and it wasn't more of like that stewy, uh, regular curry. It had a lot more flavor to it and it was more saucy instead of gravy, I guess you could say. So they started with those again to separate themselves and kind of draw in the crowd because they were just opening. So we wanted to kind of get, you know, not only our customers here, but we wanted to also try to get a different demographic in downtown water. Was it successful? Did, was there a, was Burma 2 also as successful as Burma Burma when it first started? So Burma 2 started off okay. There was another Burmese restaurant that just happened to open that's literally a few blocks away, walking distance from Burma 2. Um, and because you put two Burmese restaurants brand new opening, obviously people, one, there's confusion of which, well, which one is which because I looked it up online and so forth. Um, but luckily, we were able to separate ourselves. Uh, we're right on downtown Main Street in Walnut Creek, which, again, plays to our advantage because we get a lot of foot traffic. The other location is not. Um, and that location also has a big patio area. And if you're in downtown Walnut Creek, you know a lot of people love to dine out. They have their dogs. And our patio is dog-friendly. So we were able to attract a, a good amount of guests. And then we built up our reputation really based on not only the quality of food, but we pride ourselves on service. We offer a different type of service because I'm sure as you might know when you go and you dine out and you think of dining out, you kind of can separate. Like if you go to a Chinese restaurant and if you go to maybe a fine dining restaurant, the standards of service and everything is going to be a little different. What we did is, is obviously we're in downtown Walnut Creek. People are going out and they expect that service and they expect someone to be attentive to their needs on a regular basis. So we pretty much incorporated the service aspect um, unlike our the other Burmese restaurants, so we were able to draw a really good crowd. And again, the the food the food itself spoke for itself and kept people coming back. The service um, made people rave about it, and then Yelp review us and tell their friends. Um. So besides expanding and creating a uh, second location, is there were there any other key management or expansion changes that were made while you guys are in the process of opening or just like changing your restaurant, is there anything else that you guys changed? Um, we didn't. We didn't necessarily change anything. We've done renovations and updates because Burma Burma was Burma Burma was what you call a turnkey location. A former business was going out. Uh, um, the owners had to sell. Uh, they had personal issues. They had only been around for maybe maybe a year, so everything was fairly new and done in here. So there wasn't a lot of main work. The kitchen was already here. It was a lot of cosmetic work, you know, putting up your own pictures, paintings, decor that fits Burmese cuisine. That's pretty much what they had to do. So that's what you call a turnkey restaurant. You really don't have to put a lot of money in when you first open. You just get it up and running, get your menu established, and you go. Uh, Burma 2 was almost a full rebuild. Um, that location had a lot more money that had to be invested into because that place had to be gutted completely and then redone from the ground up. So again, um, that was a different project. This was, again, a little bit more uh, easy to first open. Um, and then they're currently looking at a possibly third and fourth location uh, after this whole COVID nonsense or like when it starts to kind of window or figure out what we're going to be doing with all of that. Um, so you are the general manager at Burma Burma, right? So what is the role and responsibilities of a general manager? Because you're not an owner, but I know you're in charge of like daily operations or something like that. Can you elaborate more on what a general manager is? Yeah. So a, a general manager pretty much, uh, pretty much does everything. Um, we're not, I'm not necessarily an owner, but I take it, I run the business like I am the owner. Um, and that's why the owner brought me on. 
is because I have my experience of, again, opening a lot of places and I have my experience of owning my own place before. Um, so I treat it like I own it. Uh, and again, that just means from everything from the ground up. Um, I will do the smallest jobs from cleaning the bathrooms, dishwashing in the back if we're short staff, uh, mopping the floors, help sweeping and cleaning. So all the way to I'm doing HR, paperwork, running sales reports, running payroll, scheduling, orders, inventory, um, meeting with staff, interviews like this for marketing purposes. Um, pretty much anything to keep this business going, I'm involved in. And then from there, what I do is I have people that I delegate certain things. I have assistant managers. I have shift leads. Um, I have a kitchen manager that's in charge of doing certain things so I can pretty much delegate certain things. Um, while still overseeing overall operations. So to use a sports analogy, you're kind of like a versatile player. You do everything. Um, what does the time commitment look like? Is it like a, how many hours do you spend a day? Do you have to be there the full time? So based on our current schedule, um, so my hours, I average about a 60-hour work week. Um, and that's also because we close in between lunch and dinner, between 2.30 and 5. So there's still certain things that I'm doing that I can't do when the restaurant's open. Um, and then I do have some time to sit down and eat. Um, I do get breaks. Uh, but my hours, again, are pretty much uh, full almost the whole day. I average a 12-hour shift right now, especially with the COVID um, changes, because we've had to change our staff lineup and our watch our labor costs and everything. So because I'm a salaried employee, um, I take on a little bit more of the responsibility um, for the time being. Um, but an average typical day during even normal um, prior to COVID-19, I was averaging about a 10-hour uh, 10 day at least. Um, and again, sometimes more. You know, sometimes I'll work a lot longer, but then I'll take maybe a half day on a slower day when I can. Um, so it kind of balances itself out. Um, yeah, so I know you have lots of experience opening businesses and doing business-related things. You talked about bars and other restaurants. What are some struggles in starting to open a business? And what have you learned that you can maybe pass on? So the biggest struggle is the financial backing. That is your big, that's, that's going to be, that's what's going to hold you in sink or swim. Um, you have to have money or you have to have the financial backers that are going to be able to give you the money for emergency purposes or random things that might come up. So when you build a business plan, you got to make sure that you build your business plan in regards to that, you're going to have the financial capability to open as well as you're going to have a cushion of just in case. Um, the other thing that you have to be willing to do is you have to be willing to sacrifice your life, <laughs> um, your hours, especially. Uh, I have two kids. Um, I can tell you when I owned my own restaurant, uh, I was at the restaurant almost all the time. Uh, so when I spent time with them, it was usually if they came to the restaurant and they sat down with friends and family. Um, especially when you first open, because there's a lot of things that you have to deal with. So those are pretty much the struggles of, you know, or the expectations when you first open your own business, especially like this. Um, but again, if I, I get, I got into this because I like this business. I like interacting with people. Um, I like networking. I'm a, so, I like to socialize. Um, and I love my food and my cuisine. So for me is, again, it, it's not necessarily work in a sense, even though there is a lot of hours I put into because it's something that I enjoy doing. But if anyone is going to be starting up a business like this, again, the big thing you have to expect is you need that financial backing and then you have to expect that you're going to be putting in a lot of hours, especially for the first like one to two years if you're a brand new owner. Um, because again, it's just going to be required. 
The the last and final thing is, is you don't necessarily have to have it, but it is a plus to your advantage if you have some sort of restaurant experience. There are a lot of restaurant owners that open up a business and they don't have a restaurant background. Like they've never worked in a restaurant. So they might think one thing like, oh, well, I have this great idea for food. But not all food can actually be put into a restaurant to where it's mass produced, quality and plated and everything like how you might have in your your mind at home. Like, oh, hey, I, I know this food is good at home. So yeah, people might like, it's not necessarily that. So you got to have some sort of restaurant experience to know kind of just basic knowledge of in and outs. And that's kind of like a program. So now let's shift gears to talk more about COVID. So COVID has impacted the restaurant industry quite a lot, I would have to say. And so what about, so what is business like now, like with COVID going on? Like what statistics do you guys have with like nightly patrons, profits, or even like food consumed? Can you give us any details on that? Yeah. So when COVID hit, I mean, we didn't know at first in March what the guidelines were going to be, how long we were going to be closed, what was going to be going on. Um, so the only thing that a restaurant can really do is focus on, okay, are we going to be able to be open first off? Um, and we were allowed to be open, but obviously we're told only takeout. Luckily, our food, and we were already set up for takeout as it is. So we literally just kind of just translated into use, utilizing Grubhub, DoorDash, um, which we had as delivery services. And then we just, we got takeout orders. So we just advertised on our website and our social media sites that we were open for takeout. Now, when it first hit, um, our sales did drop drastically because you have to think, we went from a restaurant that could fit 90, 90 people in at a time. And we, would, we were averaging around 300 covers a day um, to now going to takeout. So our sales definitely dropped because we couldn't do that dine-in business. Um, and a lot of people were unemployed. Um, because they were laying people off. They didn't know what was going to happen with jobs. You couldn't go to work. So our sales definitely dropped by at least 50%. Um, but luckily, again, because we focused on what we were good at with the food, and we had a really good reputation on Yelp, uh, a lot of people started finding us that didn't know about us. And they started getting takeout because in our area, there's a lot of people that don't cook, luckily, um, <laughs> or they don't have the time to cook. So they order takeout on a regular basis. So for us is we focused on takeout and luckily we were able to do about 50% of what we're doing um, normally in sales when we're open with takeout. Now in a restaurant, in a restaurant that is only doing takeout to drop to 50% of what we were doing being open and taking guests in, that is an extraordinary feat to do. Most restaurants and friends that I know that own their own places um, have either closed their doors or they're, they were doing takeout and they were only generating maybe maybe if they were lucky 30% of what they would do when they had their doors open. So for us to be at that 50 set, that 50% point, we were lucky. Um, but a lot of restaurants, again, were struggling just to hit 30. And then as you know, I'm sure you've seen, there's a lot of restaurants and a lot of businesses that have gone out of business um, just because they can't generate the profits to, uh, or just balance out to even make enough money to pay their bills. And I think to your point, um, Burmese food is like easier to take out the Navy other cuisines. Um, so earlier in this interview, you spoke about how you import um, food directly from Burma. I think it was your tea leaves. Was that what it was? The tea leaves, yeah. Um, have you had trouble getting them now? Have there been additional restrictions that you faced? 
So luckily with a lot of our things, uh, with the food wise, that wasn't impacted. What we ran into issues with is um, getting the to-go containers to actually keep up with our takeout business um, because they come, a lot of them come from overseas. And so because of restrictions and everything, um, there were moments where we had to figure out where we we're going to get our takeout containers from um, because our normal company was short. Luckily, we work with a few distributors, which is kind of just a general thing. And you, you talk to your three different distributors and one of them eventually will have something what you know what you need. The only thing is, is again, we have to pay higher costs because again, certain certain products again were in high demand, so they, they were able to jack up their prices. Um, but we were luckily able to get most of everything. Food wise, we were fine. We still had a lot of food coming in. Um. So yeah, you mentioned earlier how you use other businesses and other like you had multiple distributions, right, to help you stay open. So, um. Can you elaborate more on that, like how you have to like diversify the people that you deal with in order to cope up for different situations? Um, when it comes, do you mean when it comes to like our distributors and the people? Yeah, that just distributors, marketing, things like that. Okay. Um, so distributors wise, there, there's really only, there's basically kind of a set amount of distributors that you can work with. When, you, when it comes to Burmese cuisine specifically, you got to find an Asian distributor that can get you Asian type products. Um, because of the influence. So a lot of the companies that we work with are uh, Chinese or um, Asian distributors because they have um, access to all the products and everything that we need. Uh, for other goods and services, there's just basic things when you're in the restaurant business that you have to have. You have to have a supplier that can provide you with the proper cleaning equipment and sanitation equipment. Um, you need a, a produce vendor that's going to get you uh, the right vegetables. And again, there's different types of companies Usually, um, the owners and the chefs, they'll deal directly with uh, the distributor itself. Um, in our case, our head chef owner, he goes with uh, two Asian companies primarily for produce. And that's mainly because he can get the vegetables that fit the cuisine. Um, but again, we work with big meat companies and big distributors from like Cisco um, to smaller uh, companies. What it really comes down to those with the distributors is we try to find people that we can work with that we know take care of us, that give us consistency, good quality products, and the cost doesn't fluctuate so much. Like a lot of times when you get a distributor, a lot of times they'll, they'll change prices because they can without telling you. So one time you'll be paying for chicken, you'll be paying $1.39 a pound, and then you order you know, 400 pounds a month. And hey, by the way, they, they switched out the chicken and now they're charging you, you know, $3 a pound. And that's almost double the price. And if you're ordering 400 pounds, you know, that's that's money. So we go with distributors that, you know, take care of us um, on the back end and keep us posted when there's price changes um, that, again, that we build a relationship with. And that's kind of how we deal with the distributors. So during this time, you've talked about uh, the finances and during when you're when you have like a 50% reduction in business, uh, it can be hard to get money, especially, and you talked earlier about having financial backing to make a successful restaurant. So have you had to take advantage of any governmental programs during this time? And what governmental programs are available to you? Okay, um, that's a good question. So with the whole COVID-19, we they have the PPP loan, which helps out with your payroll and your labor. Um, to keep your employees employed during this these hard times. Um, we applied for that, and we were approved for that. So that was one thing that was good we got from the government. Um, the other thing is, is a lot of the cities, 
had their own programs in order to try to help out small businesses. So Dublin had their own personal loan um, or they had their small business, uh, what was it called? Small business recovery, something loan that you could apply for. And it basically was money that could be yours for free if you qualified uh, to help you through these hard times. So those were the two main ones. And there's more that they're looking like they might put out based on city and county. But those were what we needed. As of right now, again, because of what we're currently at, luckily, uh, the PPP loan, which takes care of labor and your payroll, that was the big one that helps us out. Um, because payroll is your, your highest overhead and your biggest cost. So that one has um, been the most, basically the most successful for us. And then on top of that, they've updated the current policies on it. Because when they first came out with that loan, it was supposed to be, you had to use it in eight weeks. And if you... If you know how if you know how payroll works and you have to use the amount of money they give you in eight weeks, you would almost have to give like every one of your employees a bonus or pay them for free just to get rid of all of that money. So luckily they spread it out to now a 24-week process, which makes more sense because then now we can actually properly employ people, spread it out to make sure that we're, you know, actually balancing it like a real uh, budget. Okay, yeah. So COVID-19 has also impacted like sanitation and health so because you guys are a restaurant there has to be some protocols that need to be followed in order to make your food sanitary and safe and so what protocols did you guys start following after covid started in order to like make sure that you don't transmit any diseases or make sure that your food is as safe as possible okay so here's the funny thing now and this is for any restaurant if you go to a restaurant and they didn't have procedures in place already then you shouldn't eat at that restaurant. Um, in general, in general, before COVID, when you deal with food, there are so many sicknesses and illnesses you can get, and there's so many bacteria and things that you can transfer um, because you're dealing with people's food. You're coming into contact on a regular basis. So already as a food safe certified manager, I had to go through a weekend course that goes into different types of bacteria, how they grow, temperatures, proper storage, all of these things to make sure that people just don't generally get sick. In that, the sanitation protocols that you have to do actually already kill coronavirus or any other bacteria and viruses because you have to wipe down your surface with a sanitizer. And there's there's a lot on the market. There's an ammonia-based sanitizer. There's a multi-quat sanitizer. And then there's like a chlorine bleach-based sanitizer, which when diluted and mixed with water properly, you can use it on all your surfaces. Um, and your staff should be using that on a regular basis to wipe down tables, chairs, uh, prepping areas, workstations on a regular basis. Because, again, um, there's so much cross-contamination that can be involved. So you should be doing that already. With COVID-19, the only thing that really changed was the fact that now they have all these social distancing guidelines that you have to adhere to. So your staff has to spread out and not work so closely together. Your workstations, you want to spread out so everyone is using maybe a different terminal to put in their food and put their fingers on the screen. Um, everyone's required to wear a mask. Obviously, I'm not wearing a mask right now because I'm doing an interview with you folks. Uh, but you're required to wear a mask when you, you're handling the food and you're dealing with it. Before, we used to use gloves um, in the cases that allow us. And then in the cases that didn't allow us to use gloves, again, we were wiping and cleaning surfaces on a regular basis. So there's been no really big change in regards to sanitation processes because we already had a lot in place. Um, like I said, any restaurant should be already doing that. The big thing has been 
the social distancing guidelines, spreading the guests out as much as possible. Um, and again, making sure that again, things are single serve, uh, single serve using, like for instance, um, we're not going to, uh, we're going to roll up silverware so that basically not multiple hands are touching silverware when you're setting up a table. It's all basically in one roll up and you give that to the customer to minimize contact between different people. Um, to go containers, again, we have plastic, individually plastic wrap silverware for that. Cups and everything, we're not going to put them out like we would before for people to just come and grab themselves. We're going to bring it to them ourselves on a tray um, to make sure, again, minimal contact. So there's little small things in regards to social distancing guidelines. But again, the biggest thing when it comes to sanitation, um, there should have been at any other restaurant, there should have been more than enough things in place um, to keep customers safe. And if they weren't doing that, then don't, don't eat there. Yeah. Um, so do you have any advice to young business owners or who are struggling or maybe advice to young business owners who maybe like have an idea, but then they're overlooking a key concept of running a business? Um, well, we did touch base earlier about, you know, what it takes kind of like to start up a business like this. Um, anyone that is any young business owner, uh, again, try to have a good business plan. Um, obviously you're going to have to change your business plan to fit COVID-19 and social distancing protocols. So factor that into, you know, into your business plan. If you're specifically looking to get into the restaurant business, I can tell you again, just prepare to work a lot of hours. Um, cause it's going to take time for yourself to build up a foundation and build up a reputation. Um, and while you're doing that, uh, you're going to have to, again, in your game plan, you're going to have to, deal with the fact that right now there's only outdoor dining. You can't have people coming inside and there's all these guidelines. So incorporate takeout into your, into your business plan. If you weren't planning on doing that um, and be fun and get creative. I, again, I've, we, we've done different things to where we talked about, you know, doing the whole curbside pickup um, because again, some people don't want to get out of their cars, but because of our current location and our parking lot and our seating in the patio, it's hard for us to do that now that we're blocking spaces with the barricade to serve people outdoors in the parking lot. So we don't have that space to do the curbside pickup. Um, so we just have a system inside, but we were, were talking about even before we went to um, outdoor dining like that, we said, if we did curbside pickup, why didn't we, you know, what, what about doing um, how people used to do old school at the diners where you drive up, people serve you on a tray right in your window and you eat right there in the car and then you clean it up. And and we talked about doing something fun like that because a lot of customers said, Hey, we want to come and eat, but we know you're limited inside. Um, we want to sit outside, but outdoor dining is also limited. So again, we played around with those ideas. And the thing is, is again, if you're a new business owner, um, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid to fail. I think that's the, that's one of the key things is, is you, you can't expect to go into business and you're going to get it right all the first time. I mean, I started off working in this business for a long time. And even when I owned my own restaurant, I was still making mistakes. Now, granted, I learned a lot to help me, so I made less mistakes. But I don't regret my past mistakes when I owned my own business and when I was uh, managing other places because I learned from all of them. So the biggest thing I took was is you take what you – your plan, you implement it, and then you find out certain things work, certain don't, things don't work. You adjust to basically cater to your guests or to your business needs. And then you take your failures and you don't forget about it. You take your failures and you learn from them and you build on top of those failures. Because again, unfortunately, a lot of small businesses, they don't succeed. 
A lot of people get into business and they fail. The ones that are successful are the ones that have failed and they come back and they do it again and they learn from their past mistakes. That's actually crazy because we've interviewed a couple other people in like different fields. I think we've interviewed a policeman and a teacher as well. And in almost all the interviews that we've had, whoever we've been interviewing has always talked about the process of continuous learning and learning from your mistakes is a really key thing in that field. And so I think we were talking about police brutality, things like that. And our police officer, uh, captain, actually, he talked about how the training that you should receive should be continuous and you sh it should be happening every like almost like all the time because you need to cope up and learn new policies and learn from your mistakes. So that's I really like that message again from the business and restaurant field as well. Good message. Uh, and just to wrap up now, um, where can people find you managing if they'd like to learn more? Maybe your social medias, your ad address? Um, yeah, so if they want, they can visit us at on Instagram at Burma Burma CA. Um, or if they want to visit Burma 2, uh, that's Burma 2 CA. Uh, they can go to our website uh, and they can contact us uh, via email, or if they want, and they're on Facebook, um, we're at BurmaBurma.com. Um, on Facebook, I'm not sure where we're at. It's Burma Burma and then Burma 2, and we pop right up. Um, but again, if they want, uh, we're always monitoring the social media sites. We're always monitoring our website. There is a contact form on our website. So if you had a catering request or you had a question about a private party or something, um, and or you had a question about cuisine, because we get a lot of people that ask um, certain questions about the food and everything in general. They can fill that out. It goes directly to us. And like I said, we monitor the, that daily. Awesome. Yeah, thank you so much for coming on our show. No problem. Thank you. Good luck. Okay.